Hey, Braden, you uh, you feel that, man? F- feeling what? That's the pickleball effect. All right, give us give us the goods. What are what what do our fans and listeners have to look forward to this time around? Yeah, man. So we have a few different segments. We have paddle babble. We're going to talk about some uh, paddle controversy and some things Pickball Central is doing and Engage uh, has going on. Uh, then we're going to do the in and out section again. We have a couple of topics we can talk about what's in, what's out. And uh, then we're introducing a new subject or a new segment. Uh, to, we're calling it three o to five o. We're going to talk about some tips on how to how to get there. And then we're going to finish with with Joe's Talking Pros. I love it. I'm excited. Paddle Babble. Hey, man, will this thing make me a 4-0? And let's get into the Paddle Babble. What's going on in the, in the paddle world these days? Yeah, so there just seems to be a never-ending amount of information about paddles, dude. It just keeps coming in. So we're going to talk about a paddle controversy with ProXR that happened a couple of weeks weekends ago. And then, uh, then there's some information uh, about Engage and, and Pickball Central I wanted to dive into. But the first one being the little controversy with, with uh, ProXR. So a couple of weekends ago, this was at Seattle. The, there's some people that did really well in singles using the ProXR Zane Navratil paddle. So I have it here. I actually just got these this week. I haven't spent a ton of time with these, um, but I've, I, I've heard pretty good things about it. It's, it seems like it's a little bit of a niche paddle, but um, there's a lot of people that love it. I, I think it's the only paddle from Pro XR that sells. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of these names, by the way, that, that popped off. Everyone kind of knows Connor Garnett. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the fact that he has his own signature version now. Yep. Just different colors. Uh, Ryan Eveloff and Naveen Beasley all kind of popped off in singles using the Pro XR in Seattle. So keep going, but I just want to throw some names out there. Yeah, so these are all people that were using it in Seattle. They had some big wins, and some people challenged the paddles afterwards. So the, these paddle challenges, I think anyone can challenge a paddle after a match if they feel like uh, there's something illegal, whether it's uh, you know grit or, or delamination. delamination or something yeah. along that lines. So the ProXR was, was challenged for grit. So they uh, they this was ch- the same paddle was challenged by two different people. So there's two people that were using the paddle. Both of them got challenged, and they it was challenged for grit. So they, they did uh, it's called a stare this like machine they use, they, they put this machine on top of the paddle and it just measures the roughness of the paddle. Yeah. So I, I forget the exact, like what the measurement, measurement is called, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, it's right around 40. If it's above 40, it's illegal. If it's 40 or below, then, it, then it's legal. Yep. So th- there's not a ton of information on, you know, why they do things the way they do, but apparently if they test it three times and if it passes at least once, then it's, it's considered legal. So on both occasions when it was challenged, the paddle failed the first two tests and then passed the third. So there were six total tests. It passed two of the six, which is which is interesting that it only has to pass one of the three. Apparently, several of the measurements were well above the the forty mark. Um, but yeah, this this kind of brings in you know grit is something that hasn't been talked about much. And when you fill the paddle, like yeah, it feels gritty, but I can't really tell. I don't have the machines to use it. But this right. was these paddles like had been used in matches, and normally the grit kind of wears down over time. So presumably, it's not wasn't even as gritty as it was like out of the box, and it was still pa- failing this test for four out of six times. So ProXR is kind of pushing the envelope here. Um, these big wins from these players using it, you know, you still have to beat the player 
right. know, like you have to play well, but uh, it was enough to, to get the paddle challenged. And, and I believe actually, I think I saw this somewhere that Zane uh, had his paddle. He's obviously it's his signature. He had it tested before the tournament even started. Cause he thought it felt, you know, extra gritty and uh, apparently it passed, but anyways, just yeah, some I've heard both controversy. I've heard him and Connor Garnett sent six of them to the, Holy to the PPA or whoever the testing person is. And yeah, six of them done. Oh, did get him like pre-approved? Yeah, get him pre-approved for the tournament. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they don't want to have to deal with that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's just interesting to see that come through again. You know, grit is something that was like a, a big deal a couple of years ago or even like a year and a half ago. And it hasn't been talked about much, but it uh, it can make a difference, I guess. But you, I don't know. I don't. I feel like every paddle is so spinny now. I don't know if it's as big of a deal as it used to be, but apparently, you know, it's it's causing some causing some issues for some pros. Yeah. I mean, Zane mentioned on, I, I don't know. I mean, as an amateur player on the lower level of things, I think we always nerd out about the grittiness. And so if someone's got a brand new paddle or kind of like, Oh, you know, someone's going to be, there's be flying forehands or he's going to have some top spin, but I'm not really sure how much it, how much of a difference it makes because I've never really done a true test, like the RPM test that you and pickleball studio do um, to know truly how much I'm losing after using a paddle for a few weeks or months. Yeah. There's, I know John key has done some tests around that, that there's, you definitely lose some spin over time. Uh, what would be really interesting is getting the spin numbers of an illegal paddle to see like what the difference really is. Like if I take an illegal mm -hmm. paddle, that's measuring in the sixties versus a legal one that's measuring in the forties and seeing what the difference in the spin potential is there uh, to see if that extra grit really does make that big of a difference. I think that would be fascinating. But I don't have yeah. those numbers. We'll uh, we'll have to just go find an illegal pro XR and see. If Maybe we you should it. test yours and see. Yeah. Maybe we can go out in the backyard. And I, do I it. don't have the stare at tester, unfortunately, to, <laughs> to see what the numbers are. But uh, somebody somebody had to do that one. Yeah, that's so a that, good one. that was the that was the first piece. Uh, some other uh, paddle stuff, equipment stuff that happened this week. Uh, one was with Engage. So this is they're releasing it. Or they announced this week that they are releasing a new pursuit series. They're calling it the pursuit pro line. So okay. the original pursuits by engage were released back in 2021. When these came out, they were really popular. Uh, I, I think they were, they were probably one of the more popular on the market. They, especially in, in specific areas. And, uh, they, they did really, really well for a long time. And then the raw carbon fibers kind of, you know, took some, some market share from them. And then like th two or three months ago, they finally came out with, the next version of their pursuit. They call it the pursuit ultra. So I, I did a review on this one and it just, it just didn't play like you wanted to. The spin wasn't there. They weren't using a raw texture. The texture just uh, went smooth really fast. I didn't give it a very positive review. Um, it was I like I was unanimously across paddle reviewers, fairly negative, right? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, I think unless it was like an engaged, engaged yeah, rep. rep or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty unanimous across the board that it just wasn't worth the 260 that they were asking. And, uh, so they, they dropped the, they dropped the ultra line. They're, they're going to stop selling it. They're replacing it with this new pro line that's coming out as I think sometime this month, but they were really quick to drop that. And they're bringing out this new line they're calling it the pro line. It's supposed to be raw carbon. I looks like the only thing they changed is the facing material, but, uh, they're just, you know, it's unfortunate for the people that bought the ultra and spent the 260 on it. And they're, they're already coming out with a new one, but I, this is, I'm hoping that this new one comes out 
is is good and it sounds like this new one should have been what the ultra was but wasn't uh, yeah. but they they were really quick to pivot there so we'll see what this new one is but i just i just you know i thought it was kind of funny that they just turned the ultra off so fast and it sucks for retailers because when i was doing the retail thing before you would have I, bought uh, like 50 of them or 100 of them, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, I was still selling when the Ultras came out and I decided not to sell them because that was right. kind of part of my philosophy. I was like, if the paddle sucks, I don't want to sell it. So I decided not to sell them. But, you know, the Pickball Centrals, the, you know, all these other major retailers from with whoever, you know, they probably bought a ton of them and they're not cheap. And so they're probably just out, unfortunately, on a lot of those paddles and they'll, they'll try to, you know, sell those for cheap or whatever, just to get some of their money back. But uh, so that was that was interesting. Um, I have a meeting with Engage this week to to talk about that paddle and see what they did there. Uh, but looking forward to that because if there that line is unique and it could be really good if it's getting the same amount of spin uh, as you know these other thermoform paddles out there, and could be a, could be a, what do you call it like, like an alternate to thermoforming because the pursuits are pretty poppy, uh, yeah. which is part of the draw to them. So if they can have that pop without the thermoform. Uh, then that would be pretty significant just because you don't have to worry about the delamination issues and it's just, uh, it gives you an alternate there, but they are expensive and they, you know, they tout that, you know, everything's made in America, all the materials, the sourcing. Uh, so that's kind of their, their claim to, yeah. uh, to fame and why they charge so much. Um, but yeah, looking forward to those, those, those could be good. Is there a lot left? Like when you say like doing something, doing something different or unique, is there a lot left in your head right now or your mind about like, what they could bring to the table. It's going to, I mean, clearly poppiness, non-thermoform so that you don't have to deal with delamination. Although I haven't heard a lot about delamination in the last two months. Is, is there yeah, anything else it's you just been think overcovered, be I think like it's still, it's still an issue. Paddles still delaminate, but okay. I just don't think you hear about it, but it's definitely better than what it was, you know, when people were realizing what was going on, but yeah, a thermoform paddle won't last as long as, as other ones. But yeah. The thing with the engaged pursuits, they have a, their core, there's something unique about the core. I don't know how they make it, but it's uh, it's just it's just got a little more pop to it. It's the core is something that isn't like very different from 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 company to company typically, and so that they have a, a different core. They call it their black core. And when if like if you rip the edge guard off, the core is actually black. It's not like that. Hmm. Kind of yeah, the yellowish white white color polypropylene so, core. That's all I hear yeah, on the uh, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so that that could be interesting, uh, and then the last thing I wanted to mention here was an announcement that PP Central made. So, I got an email a few days ago. Uh, Pickleball Central is introducing this thing they're calling the Lab at Pickleball Central, and so they're they're going to start measuring twist weight and swing weight, which is something that uh, Chris Olson and I have both been doing for a bit. We both have like these paddle databases that we mm -hmm. have that have all this information. Um, but they're, they're, they're going to be the first retailer to bring this information to like their product pages and, and, and start adding that info there, which I think is a great thing. Like we want this information to, to be more available and something that people use when they're, when they're buying paddles, but it, I'm, uh, so I, I emailed them afterwards, just chatting about like how they're going to do it. So they're using this big fancy machine. Uh, I think it was head that's making it. And the, the way they're going to measure swing weight is, is different than the way that Chris and I do it. So when we measure swing weight, we, uh, there's, there, I guess there's a couple ways you can do it. So it, you can measure swing weight on different places of the, of the handle. So Chris and I use what's called like a, you know, we, we, we go five centimeters up 
and then measure the swing weight. So they're going 10 centimeters up and then measuring it. So they're going to have totally different numbers than what uh, Chris and I have published and have been pushing for a while. Uh, Chris was kind of the first one to make swing weight a thing. And I followed his footsteps and just, he was using the same you know, methods he was using. And so I'm, I'm really bummed that they're not using the same uh, technique or I guess the same approach that, that we're using. Uh, I think the twist weight numbers will be the same. This is something uh, I started pushing recently and, and Chris has started pushing. And so we'll, uh, I imagine those, those twist weight numbers will be the same, but the swing weights will be, will be different. And so that'll be kind of a, a struggle between, you know, what's people are familiar with already and what they're going to start pushing. Uh, I think they're going to have a range of numbers between like 70 and 90 and the current range is between like a hundred and 130 uh, right. that most people are familiar with. Um, but I'm curious what your take is. So like as a, as a paddle reviewer, like I'm like, I nerd out on this stuff all the time. So when, when you are looking at paddles and you're you know trying to figure out what you want, like how much do you consider swing weight or twist weight or some of these other kind of, you know, nerdy metrics? No, I mean, I like them a lot. I think the two things that I'm thinking in my head with this announcement too, and having two different ways of, I don't know, two different ways of identifying one single metric. The problem with that is it's number one, going to cause confusion with the consumers. And number and, and additionally on that is that if you say it's 120 and they say that equals 110, the consumer is going to maybe buy a paddle thinking that it has a really light swing weight when it doesn't, right? Oh, yeah. And But on the other side, from the marketing end of it, I don't look at pickleball central at all. So I don't, I don't care about them. Like, I guess my source of truth is, is you and Chris. And so if I guess it's a marketing differentiator, in my opinion, that people will come to you because you guys are the ones who kind of coined the metric you're measuring it in a way that they understand. And you've already kind of set the tone for what the metric means and how the rating goes from zero to a hundred or whatever. So yeah. And, and when I'm buying paddles, um, I do look at it cause it's interesting to me to understand like, how heavy is this thing going to be? What I still haven't unlocked, and maybe we could talk about this too, because we're getting into a section later about like 3.0s to 5.0s is I hear a lot through... So Chris just made a new Facebook page for pickleball paddles so people could discuss them. Mm-hmm. And there, plus the kitchen, all these other forums, I hear a lot of people like, someone will ask about a paddle. The next thing I, I get is all the stuff that you guys have put together. Hey, this, these are the specs, this twist weight, this is the swing weight. And then somebody will come in and say, yeah, but this one's really head heavy. And I'm like, is that the same thing, but different for, for swing weight? Or is someone do like, is that the, could you tell me on the balance metric that you guys have? Like where does head heavy land and how would you know for a fact that it's head heavy? Yeah. So I would say something starts to feel head heavy around like the 115 plus range. Like okay. 120 is, is is when you really start pushing it. 125 to 130 is like really head heavy, but a lot of that is relative, right? Like if you're coming from a really light paddle that maybe had a measurement of like 110, and then or even lower than that, maybe like 100 or something, and then you play with the paddle that's 110, which is could be considered like a not very head heavy. It's going to feel head heavy to them, and so you, it's all it's all a bit relative, and that's kind of that's part of the power of these, these, this paddle database I have is you can see paddles side by side. So you can go look at paddle you're playing with and be like, okay, this has a swing weight of 110 and then use that as your reference point when you're looking for other paddles. You're like if I don't want anything yeah. heavier, then that's, you know, that's the range you want to be in. And so it's, it's hard to say, you know, what head heavy feel, you know, it's going to feel different to different people depending on where you come from. But 
my, what, like if I'm using descriptive language, like I would say like a moderate swing weight is about 115. Anything below that is, is lower. Anything below that or above that is going to, is higher and is more on the head heavy side. And so that's, why is it, why is it always head heavy though? Like for example, in tennis, Roger Federer, he was, he was known and a lot of other players do it now too, but he was known to put a big, heavy leather, like a like genuine leather grip on his racket, yeah. which made it very heavy at the base. So he could basically plow through the ball and then speed through the head. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, adding all the lead tape to the throat, is that is that helping with head heaviness and the swing weight or just one or the other? Yeah, so it's actually kind of a misconception that people think if they add lead tape to the throat, it's going to bring the swing weight down it's false. Like any weight you add is going to increase the swing weight, no matter like where you put it, or at least from where I've tested, which is the handle and above, I've never put any weight in the handle to see what that does. But hmm. any weight you add above the handle is going to add swing weight. Um, different placements will add more than others. Um, but the difference with, with tennis and, and rackets and pickleball paddles is just the shape. Like paddles are just so much smaller that there technically isn't a head light paddle the way you would describe a tennis racket. So tennis rackets yeah. can actually have a, like a balance point, like at the bottom half of the paddle where it's headlight. And, but you can't have that with, with pickleball paddles, just the way they are. Like everything will be considered head heavy, but just to what degree, I guess. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm with you, I guess, to wrap that, that piece up, like it is a bit frustrating that they're putting together a metric that is going to have a different formula than what's already out in the public. But I'm hoping that, and I know for a fact that you both have such great followings that I think you'll be the source of truth anyway. And it might even create more of a reason for people to come to you to, to better understand these metrics. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I mean, Pickball Central has a lot of reach. I mean, like just hundreds of thousands. Uh, yeah. And so I just like, I don't have that reach Pickball suit doesn't have that reach. And so it'll, it'll be kind of a battle. And like, I, I'd rather, like, I love that they're doing it, but I want to be aligned moving forward. And so I, I've kind of been chatting with them and they just said their machine doesn't measure it at five centimeters. It only measures it at 10 centimeters. And I, I would imagine that the machine is just built for tennis, which is cause they use that 10 mm. centimeter measurement. Yeah. And they're just trying to adapt it to pickleball. And, and unfortunately their machine just isn't capable of doing that. Um, they said that they're, you know, they're talking with Ed and maybe they could potentially find some sort of solution to get to that point where they are, they're measuring at five instead of 10, but their first release of numbers and data is going to be with that 10 centimeter measurement. Uh, but yeah, it, it'll be kind of a battle there. Maybe, maybe I have to start changing the way I, I measure it to, to align with them. Um, is it really hard for you to do both? Can you keep your original and then also measure at the 10, 10 mark? Yeah. So I, I could do the 10. I have an adapter for that. Um, but it's just like, it's reeducating everybody. I think the core audience for paddles of people that like care about this stuff is very familiar with what's been published and recorded up until this point. And they'll be, they'll be introducing this number to a lot of, to, I think the core will be confused, but there's probably a lot of people that don't even look at that number that this will be brand new to. And so it won't matter to them, mm-hmm. which is probably the majority of their audience. Like they sell a lot of paddles to you know, just, you know, beginners, you know, people are buying their first or second paddle and they may not care about those metrics as much. And so yep. they'll be introducing it to the first time. And, and then as they start to get more involved, that's where the confusion will happen. But 
um, overall, like I'm really happy they're doing it. I just want to, hopefully we can get aligned, uh, whether one, someone's going to have to conform to the other. We'll see what happens. Step but that's up, the, central. that's Come the on. end of the paddle babble, dude. We're going to jump to the next one, which is, which is in and out. In or out. Sorry. I think that was just out. Did you see that out? Let's do it. All right. So weeks and weeks ago, maybe it's months at this point. The Dink had the commissioner of the MLP on their podcast. Talked about all sorts of great things, one of which was the ball. So keeping it short and concise, MLP says they're coming out with their own ball. We don't know when, but now with the newest regulations around the paddle colors, which we talked about last week, mm-hmm. I saw an Instagram story from the commissioner of MLP who mentioned the ball is coming very soon. I really have no idea. I know one on one side of it, I know it's definitely a branding play and just a business play in general play with the mlp ball people will do it it's probably cheaper too like if they're buying duras like they're they're like you know three bucks a ball like that's expensive i mean you cook through you know two three balls a game or a match yeah not only is it branding but it it make it brings that in-house and verticalizes um, a piece of the equipment right and but the other side of it that i'm not sure of yet is whether or not they're going to change anything with the ball and this is where we go for in or out I want to know, are you in or out on the idea of changing the texture, size, um, the materials of a pickleball? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to it. I, I don't, I don't know what they would do as far as chain. Like, I guess they could use different plastic. I don't know. I got, I'm not yeah, opposed to the idea. Um, but I don't think they could be too drastic with what they change. Like maybe they introduce little things here and there, but no, dude, I, I, I think, uh, it could be some, I think that's an area of the game that could definitely be innovative, innovated and change and will change over time. Like there's been a lot of changes with paddles, but the balls stayed the same. And so I, I think there's an, a window there. There's an open door. There's a possibility of, of that being changed and improved upon. Uh, yeah, I I'm open to the idea. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I imagine they try to just make a Dura replicate to at least start and then maybe potentially do something different over time. What do you think? Well, I'll throw out one other thing that I, that stumbled upon my feed this week. Rob Nunnery tweeted an idea that he thinks pickleball should expand to new surfaces and with new surfaces could come different balls for each. So in tennis, there's clay, there's hard court and there's grass. Mm -hmm. I've already seen pickleball players playing on clay at like traditional country clubs. They're just basically using the clay courts and kind of drawing the lines out, you know? So I I do think there could be something there. I'm I'm with you. I'm not an engineer, so I'm not sure what you could do to the ball, but the one thing that the, what's this guy's name? He has a, he has a enhanced pickleball. I think I've talked about him on my podcast. Oh, the like foam ball or something he made. Well, he, he essentially plugged every hole with some foam and then shaved it down. So it was flat. And oh, so it's like a real ball. It just has like foam plugs. Yeah. He just took the holes out and he just plugged or he took most of the holes out and he plugged it with, with rubber. So it really like deadened the sound. And he, he like dropped one ball and another ball and the bounce really wasn't all that affected. So I I just wonder if the MLP might be going for like a three prong approach where it helps their business, helps their brand. And what if they introduce something that helps cut down on the noise complaints that we've heard a zillion times over in the news? Yeah, that's interesting. And and now that you say that, like them owning the ball allows them to 
to change it however they want. Because if if they have to react and use what's on the market, they don't have as much control over what the ball is. And so this kind of gives them the opportunity to do something like that. Like if they did want to use clay or some other surface, then they can go make a ball for it rather than being reactive. They can um, be a little more proactive there. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll keep you posted, folks. But yeah, I mean, just just the general idea of surfaces and balls. Like, what do you think? Do you would do you like the idea of different surfaces at different tournaments and things like that? I love the idea of different surfaces. I right now, I think it would be really easy to go to clay, especially in the southeast. I don't know if you have much clay out your I've way. I've never walked on a clay court before. Okay, yeah. So it's it's really really popular here in the southeast, and most of the clubs do clay because. Although it's not exactly easier to upkeep, um, you don't have to deal with a lot of the resurfacing issues, like where you, you all you get all the cracks and stuff in the court. As long as you're maintaining them and keeping up with them, um, you, you don't have so the cracks. like clay courts. Like describe it to me. Like I know you can slide on it better, right? Like movement isn't as quick. Yeah, so everything's a little more deadened, right? So the surface is just a little little squishier, but not so, so like much. The ball, that you're gonna- like the ball won't bounce as high. Probably not like the, the current pickleball will likely not bounce as high, which is why you might need to introduce another ball like to counteract that, that. clay that bounces. high. Okay. Yeah. And then That's what they've cool done idea. is it, it really does not feel anything like a hard court tennis court. Um, they've got other layers of material and then on the top, what you have, and it's like, a, it's like a porous material. So you, you water it every single day to keep it dampened and wet and not dry hmm. out. And basically the top layer is is just like a bunch of almost like think of sand of course it's clay but it's just yeah, all it looks, over it looks the looks dusty yeah it's very dusty it can get very dusty which is why you water it to dampen it down and, and make it less dusty yeah that makes sense um and also that's just what brings the sliding in and the it's still pretty fast but it's also fun because you can really see the ball marks so all this stuff there where they're like that ball is in that ball was out the ball makes a skid mark you know on the court so even playing tennis on them you can easily just walk up and say the serve was out and you can look at the ball mark. Right. So that's kind yeah, of a fun cool. aspect of it. Yeah. Like the more you, you talk about it, that does sound really fun. Like that would, yeah. that would drastically change like the strategy of, of play. Like you, there wouldn't, you couldn't do as much side to side movement. You couldn't be as quick. And so the, the person on the left couldn't take up as much space, which would bring the right side player more involved have to cover more ground. So like that approach that the Johns brothers use where, where Ben, you know, like he covers a ton of court, um, where you would mixed, right? Like every male player tends to cover kind of three fourths of the court. Uh, so that would be a lot harder to do on clay. And that would, that would change strategy a ton. That would be, that would be very entertaining. Yeah. And honestly, it would be a little easier on the pro tournaments to convert the courts, I think, because, now the posts are one thing. Can you get them out of the ground? I'm not sure, but the net could certainly come down, and all the lines are just the like net could come like like a lower net. Was oh, I just mean you could take the current net down like off the post and oh, put a new oh, net gotcha, in because gotcha. it's a smaller court, right? Um, and you could even take it sideways. So on clay, the lines are not painted; they're not like permanent structures. They're they're like cloth or like a nylon. Um, it's nailed down on the court. So all you have to do to get a clay court relined is just pop up all the nails and you can remove all the lines and you could reline it for pickleball, you know, really easily, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't realize I thought, so they're not, it's not painted. Like 
everything else is. It, can, it just can't be because of the clay, right? All of a sudden, yeah. your lines would be all zigzags. Yeah, they get zigzag. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder if they'll. Uh, I wonder. Hope they pursue and start thinking about that because that could be cool. Yeah, maybe we can talk somebody into doing like the southeastern, uh, like tour or something, and we could try it out down here because I think it could work for sure. Yeah, that'd be sweet. The ball though, we'd have to figure out. I've I've seen people on Instagram playing on the courts, and it seems like it's okay, but I can guarantee the ball is not going to bounce as well. So. Yeah, they introduce new ball. Use, I mean, you. I don't really know the, how tennis works exactly, but you you made it sound like they use different balls on clay. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, it not to the naked eye, but they. It's basically like less fuzz on the ball because the clay can be a little damp, like I mentioned, um, and it picks up all that clay. So you don't want it to get heavy oh, and right. hold on like to the clay particles. The so, um, the the pro tour definitely uses something with a little less fuzz on it. But us amateurs kind of play with whatever. Just you know? whatever. Yeah. So it's good. Well, cool. So this is, uh, we're going to pop over the next segment. We're talking uh, some, some instruction. We're talking 3 out of 5 0. So I'm going to turn you into a 5 0 player, Logan. Please do. We, uh, we didn't talk about this segment too much going into it, but you said you had a story uh, about dinking. Uh, you were playing some, with some higher level players and it got you in trouble a little bit with, with how you normally dink. So tell me your story and let's talk about it. Yeah. I want to know there's two things about the dinking that I want to get your opinion on. So I was playing uh rec with a couple of friends, but I don't really get in their group that often because they're much better than me. Um, one plays five Oh, uh, doubles pretty competitively. Um, their other two were four or five, but one plays five Oh singles. So good players. And I would consider myself like maybe knocking on four O's door. And what happened to me, it happens to me a lot when I play mm -hmm. higher level is that the dinks are a little faster. So I'm, I'm not reacting as quickly as I normally am. You know, like I'm a little yeah. on my heels. Um, but even when I'm dinking back to these folks, I'm doing it as if I'm playing a three, five or a four Oh, and it's getting me in trouble. So there's the two scenarios. One, I'm on the right side playing a against a right side player on the opposite side of the court like okay. uh, diagonal, right? Cross the court. Right. Um, they hit me a forehand dink that I dink back. What keeps happening to me is that I dink it to their forehand. That's probably mistake number one, but I'm doing kind of what the pros do. And I'm kind of trying to push them, not wide off the court, but Taking a little it to bit. The, the right siders forehand. So like close yeah. to the, the sideline. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing that. What keeps happening to me there is that I, I guess I'm going a little deep. And even if I get the ball to bounce, they tend to rip it right into my partner's chest. Um, they pick it up off the bounce and just rip it into his chest, which sucks. Um, the second scenario is when it doesn't matter which side I'm on. If someone pulls me off the court just a little bit and I don't have enough for an ATP, mm -hmm. I almost always default to defending my dink by just dinking it directly across from me. Yeah. Like to the person directly, you know, right in they front of the me. Corner on you. And no, no, I don't get burned there. I just don't okay. know if it's the right play. I don't know what the right play is. So those are the two scenarios I thought maybe a higher caliber player could, could explain to us what the right moves are. Yeah. Th my first thoughts are, you're right. Like dinking gets a little more nuanced as you play better players. And if, if you're not more intentional with your dinks, it, with not just, no, with placement height and like the, the type of dink, then they can take advantage of it. So things to think about, right? Our location. So if you're going cross court like that, if, if, if you're hitting it 
like a deeper dink, like towards maybe the kitchen line or something. Yep. Um, it has your, your ball has to be a little shallower or they're going to pick it out of the air or it sounds like they were, they were attacked. Were they attacking off the bounce and pegging your partner? Yeah. So I think it was deep enough and, and low enough to where they couldn't grab it out of the air, but it was deep enough to where like it, the ball hit the kitchen line and then they just took a step back and, and like they have this it, nice yeah. roll where they just kind of brushed up against the ball and it was, it was too quick for us on the other side. Yeah. So if, if you're hitting loftier dinks that are deeper, that'll get you in trouble. So something to, to think about or practice is either you have two options. One uh, is you, you need to make that more shallow. You need to keep that like a foot inside the kitchen, which will reduce the options they have when attacking it or be a little more aggressive with your dink and uh, just keep it lower and a, and a little firmer. And so like, going to that corner is, is, is fine. Like people do it all the time. Um, but yeah, either you have to keep it shallower or just a little more penetrating, uh, to keep them on, on their toes a little bit. Like you said, when you kind of get in trouble, like they'll push you out wide and then you try to recover, you know, that yeah. dink down the sideline. So yeah, you, you can't just, just dink to dink. You, you kind of have to add some variety there and be a little more intentional. Like you can't just hit the right location. It's gotta be, um, you know, the right depth and then the right type. So like the two types of dinks you'll hear people talk about, right? Like our pressurized dinks and like defensive dinks. So if it's a pressurized dink, it's got a little more pace, a little lower trajectory. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's going towards the kitchen line. So th those, you want to be a little more penetrating, a little, like you'll see people do like those forehand rolls, like Lauren Stratman's really good at that. Yeah. Right. She does that kind of, uh, you know, Annalie does that out the backhand a lot. Uh, so there, there's that pressurized dink towards the kitchen, but you don't want to do a fluffy dink towards the kitchen line. Those have to be shallower. And so it's just, uh, just practicing hitting those a little, a little, little, little shallower. If you, if you need to, if you don't have that pressurized dink yet. Um, but yeah, going to that location is fine. Um, but that, that was my first thought there. And then you said your other question was, is it okay to, to dink down the line as like a recovery dink? Uh, you do have or, to be careful or what should that. be like, what should be my number one thing to work on or practice? What's the number one choice I, I've heard that it's actually to go to the opposite players left foot. You following me? Yeah. But I yeah, don't know if that, I don't even know if lot. I could hit that ball, number one. But if I was going <laughs> to practice, then I think I'm just want to make sure that's the play. Yeah. That, that left foot is, is a target you do. So the, you don't want to go there every time because if you're playing somebody that has a strong left sider, then they're going to reach in with their forehand and that, that's what they're going to attack and take that out of the air. If you're going for that left foot a lot, they'll, they'll yeah. see that pattern and they'll pick that off. But there is an opportunity there to put them in an awkward position because it does force the left sider to be stretched. And that little backhand dink off your left foot is kind of tricky for that right sider. You can't really, it's hard, difficult to attack. It often results in more of a defensive dink, which could lead to some opportunities for you to be more aggressive with your dink or, or attack. But yeah, yeah, go there. You could, you can hit those a little deeper. Uh, usually there's a little more space. Uh, it's, those are a little more difficult to attack unless you're playing a really strong left sider that looks to, to pick those off. You have to be careful of that, uh, but yeah, that's a good location. Um, and then yeah, kind of going between those two spots, uh, is, is a good place to be looking for opportunity. And then the, your partner, when you're dinking across court like that, and you're in that pattern, you're trying, hopefully your partner can kind of step in and roll something, mm, um, yeah. or they, you know, they give you something high. Um, but on, on your other question, like it's, it's totally okay to recover down the line. You just have to be careful with the Ernie. Typically, if it's possible, 
I'm I'm going to bring that like four, you know, four or five feet to the left of of that the sideline so that it's harder to earnie. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, nothing wrong with hitting something soft in front of you uh, if you're in a more defensive position. Um, but some sometimes that can result in in an attackable ball because that's a little a little, little fluffy, a little more defensive. You try to get that as shallow as you can, uh, so they can't do too much with it. But yeah, nothing wrong with with staying on that side of the court. Um, if you need to sweet, appreciate it. And then the, uh, the other topic here. So you, you brought up fourth shots with me recently, you know, how do we deal with fourth shots? And so I was going to talk about this one and th- this, this is a shot that is like, should be like, it's an easy fix <laughs> that, uh, you can do when you're transitioning to that four O level. Um, but if you don't think about it, it can get you in a lot of trouble because, if you don't treat the fourth shot correctly, then you know four or five players can punish you for it. So I for this one, I got my board. This is uh, yeah, let's do it. This is the strategy board. Are you gonna have to bring it a little more center? Can you? There we ooh, go. Right there. Okay. Yeah. So we're talking fourth shot. So the fourth shot is um, somebody will serve it. So you're. This is you right here. You're at the top. They serve yeah. it to you. You return it, and then they have are gonna drop it or drive it. Right. Yep. So. This is their third, and then what do you do with this fourth ball? So th- the general idea is you want to be you want to be aggressive here. If they leave, if they hit a bad drop, like it's good advice to you know to lean in, try to punch that back at their feet, be aggressive with it, keep pressure on them. But or if they hit a drive, you know if you can do something with it, you know there's nothing wrong with being aggressive and trying to punch that drive back. But uh, where people get in trouble when they're making that transition to three five to four zero. Is somebody will hit a good, a good third. Okay, yep. so this person drops it in right here. Logan stand in right here. When you first start pickleball, people just drill into your head. Keep if they're at the baseline, keep them back, keep them back. It's just like, it's just what you hear all the time. And so if someone hits a good third here, they're typically you know they're they're working their way up from from this position, but they're not all the way at the kitchen line. Yep. And so this person is like, oh, I got to keep that person back. So that they hit something a little higher, a little harder in this general area, and then their partner will step in and just 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 punish mm. them for it. They'll poach and they'll, they'll put they'll do some damage there. And so if someone hits a good third, there's like you need to respect it. There's nothing wrong with just dropping this back into the kitchen, just dink it into the kitchen, you know, just reward them for hitting a good third. Like there's there's no reason to try to put something on this if it's not available. Like if if they're if they're back, that doesn't mean you have to hit it back to them. Sure. That's good advice. Especially yeah. if it's a cross court drop. So like if this person drops to the front, you know, it's, it's easier to, to be aggressive off of a third and, you know, hit it down the line because this person can't poach. Yep. But if they're typically, you know, like 80% of drops at the higher level are going to be cross court. And w- which creates opportunities for, you know, your partner to kind of step in, get involved and potentially poach something. There's nothing wrong with, with just dropping it back into the kitchen, even if, even if they're back. So don't, don't fall into the trap that you have to keep someone back. If they, uh, every time, like there, there's definitely ch- places in the game where it's okay to just hit it back in the kitchen you know, reward them for hitting that good third, 
and then just move forward. But if they if they do leave a third up, yeah, like go for it, be aggressive, get it down to their feet. But if you have to swing up on the ball, then uh, just just drop it cross court and 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 go. Just get the there. point going. Yeah, or keep yeah. it alive. So there's our there's our three zero to five zero segment, dude. Thanks, professor. I like it. <laughs> what do we got <laughs> next? Yeah, let's talk some pro pickleball. Above average Joe's talking pros. Psh, hey man, I could have made that shot. Um, this would be a good way to kind of round us out. And then I've got at the end, I've got a little something I want to ask from our uh, our listeners. So, um, big storylines today. Let's just go over a couple of things that happened today, and then we'll go back in time. So Tyra Black, um, this was her first ever championship Sunday and she won women's singles, which is amazing. Super, Um, super cool. Yeah. Same old, same old on the women's side, uh, Anna Lee and Anna Bright, uh, they won. And then on the men's side, well, Tyra did some damage on the women's side too. So she took bronze with Elise Jones. Yeah. Which is great. So these were her first two PPA medals. Uh, she's been on the rise. So it's fun to see her get some results. Yeah. I love that. And when I started doing this, uh, when I started doing the Sunday dinking club, my first ever, um, guest was James Ignatowicz. Mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, I got to go back in the archives, but James was just like gushing over Tyra black. He was like, Oh really? Yeah. I was like, who's the, who's on the rise? Who, who do you got? He's like hurricane Tyra black, hurricane Tyra black. She's amazing. <laughs> So they, they play together down there in, in Boca Raton. So I'm, it's, uh, it's, I don't know her, but it's cool coming to, to pass. It's coming to pass. Exactly. Which is, yeah, he, he was way ahead of it. That, that interview was like a few months ago, wasn't it? Yeah. But he, he had been drilling with her, you know, so he, he kind of, I'm sure he could see it. Um, all right. And then on the men's side, men's doubles, this is like got a little bit of an asterisk next to it. Um, but J dub and Dylan took the W over Colin and Ben. Um, they got gold, which is great. And, and then out of the woodwork, uh, this guy's name is Gabe. Gabe Joseph. Yes. One singles today, um, over Federico. So yeah. And, and he, he came up through this tournament. I mean, he had, he went through the gauntlet, like Ben Johns, Tyson. There was somebody in the middle he there. He didn't play Ben. Oh, he didn't play Ben. Okay. He, he was on the same, uh, same half as Ben, but Yates Johnson ended up beating Ben. That's right. He beat Yates. Gabe beat yeah. Yates. That's it. Yeah. Good one. Thanks. Um, but yeah, anyway. Gabe, Gabe, he isn't new. He's been around. Uh, he's kind of a single specialist, but he's never had this kind of result. Yeah. He beat, so he beat Tejas in the first round. He beat Garnett. Everyone's been gushing over Garnett, especially over his singles play. Uh, then beat Yates. Didn't have to face uh, Ben luckily. And then, yeah, then beat fed in the finals. I think he beat McGuffin too in there. Yeah. He beat McGuffin. Yep. And so, I mean, just every win was big. Uh, yeah, really, really happy for him. That was cool to see. Yeah, and today was pretty big because he was he had a he saved two game points in game two, so he had already won game one, but he was down ten to eight or ten to nine, about to lose game two. Saved it twice, then comes back to win twelve twelve ten. So that yeah. was that was pretty epic. That was fun. I did watch that one. Yeah. So I guess a couple of storylines coming out of this. So. Tyra Black, we just talked about winning women's singles, beat Annalie Waters, which is the first loss of hers in tw- except for Catherine Parento in 2023, I believe. So yeah, she came yeah, back right. in March. I think she had taken January and February off or something like that. She came back. She's been playing nonstop since, I believe, March, and has only lost one time, uh, except now. 
So that was, it was pretty big. And this was the big week. Like this was, if she won the triple crown this week, it would have been seven in a row. Seven in a row. It would have yeah. been a new record. So she tied the record of most triple crowns in a row last week. This week would have set the new record and she, she lost in singles. She did end up winning women's doubles and mixed. And so she missed the triple crown, triple crown because of singles. You think that was the reason for her, um, elation after the match her her cheer. Yeah. What, what, an, off court. what an interesting moment. Like, like for those who haven't seen it, tell us what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, let me back up to her. She was, she's, she was down. Like she was not playing well. She's hitting balls in the net. She's clearly, this is Annalie versus Tyra, right? Yeah. 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 And she's hitting balls in the net. She shouldn't be. It was just didn't, weird. Didn't look like herself. Yeah. No, but she was outwardly frustrated. Right. And, um, anyway, she went to the bench multiple times, taking timeouts, trying to pull it together, had an amazing second game, won 11, two in the second game, I think. And then, the third game kind of fell apart for her again. So Tyra wins and, and Anna Lee, the way that Tyra wins is that Anna Lee hits this really bad backhand that goes flying off the court. And as soon as she hits it, just like puts her hands in the air as if she's cheering, like she won. Right. And she goes and shakes hands and then she tosses her paddle to her mom and you just see her put her hands back in the air and she runs off court. Yeah. Everyone was really confused. <laughs> Exit stage was not expecting that reaction. Yeah. And then like the internet just went nuts over this, like trying to explain why or understand why, why she reacted the way she did. Memes what, what of pickleball is it? the best on the planet, man. Everyone. <laughs> that, I didn't see theirs. What was their best one? Oh my gosh. There's too many to name. It was just, it was so funny. Like, please go back and look. They did multiple posts, like multiple posts with multiple posts within them. Like, they must have put out 12 different memes on the subject and, and they just, they had me rolling all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, of course it was all over Facebook and Instagram, just trying to hear what people were saying about the subject. And the best one that I came up with, or not that I came up with that I saw was that her mom was definitely on the sideline telling her whatever. And I think somebody who was there might've overheard that she was trying to tell Annalie to like, listen, it's okay if you lose a point. It's okay if you lose. Like, but you need to have your composure. Have your composure. You don't want to outwardly be slamming your paddle against your. She does this thing where she slaps her paddle against her hip or uh -huh. her thigh, and that's kind of her the way that she kind of uh, gets after it. But I think that the, what I heard from this person online was that she was just so over it all, and didn't and like her mom telling her like to be composed that she decided at the end of the match she was going to be just the opposite of, of mad and upset and just go for the cheer. And then she just threw her paddle to her mom and was like, peace out, you know? Yeah. So interesting. It, I feel like, I don't know, that one was the one I, I, I think makes the most sense, but I, you, you kind of had like, then you have kind of a, a good hot take on this too. Not a hot take, but I don't know if I had a hot take, but like, you know, I, I feel kind of bad for her because so many people are, are just speculating and talking about this. And, and I think like in reality, like we just, we don't really know what's going on. Like we don't know what pressure she's feeling and to like pass so much, you know, kind of judgment and thought on, I you know why she should act this way. Or she should have done this. I just think, I just don't think it's fair to her and we should all just give her some grace, like let it happen and, and just move on. And so I, you know, we, we just don't know what's yeah. going on. And I, I felt bad that, you know, there was so much kind of talk about it and I'm, I'm sure it's, it's hard on her. I mean, I, you just, we just don't know what's going on. And so I, uh, just, I just, I just feel like we should just kind of, just kind of move on from it. Give her some grace, 
and you know whatever she didn't she didn't hurt anybody she wasn't mean to anyone nope. nothing bad happened it was just an interesting reaction not a big deal and i don't think any differently of of her she it obviously wasn't. rebounded really well uh played fantastic and, and mixed and goes and wins women's doubles and mixed doubles and so you know power to her for 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 going through it and you know just it, not worrying about not letting that affect you know her play for the rest of the tournament. So impressive, impressive response I think from her. I agree. I mean, she even put a, an apology out there. I don't even think there was an apology needed. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like I don't think so. What are you apologizing for? It's not like you threw your paddle. You didn't no. like skip the handshake. You just kind of jog jog jogged off court, <laughs> which is <Yeah>. great. <laughs> yeah, that'll we'll just move on from that, and then hopefully uh, just water on the bridge. No big deal. Yeah, all good. And then the the only other big the reason I say there was an asterisk on the men's double side is that Colin Johns got hurt this weekend. And who was a uh, so Matt Wright was playing with Julian Arnold this weekend, right? No, he was playing with Garnett. And then it was Matt Garnett. Oh, okay. And then uh I don't and then Riley was with Kohler. With Kohler, yeah. So there well, the reason I asked that is because Colin gets hurt early in the rounds. He's playing uh, Elise Jones and oh, this is on mixed day, yeah, yeah. That's when he got hurt. That's when he got hurt. It was uh, against Eric Lang, I think. And um, yeah, for those who didn't watch, like he's he's playing mixed with Elise Jones. Uh, he he made a big step to the right, looking you know to hit a stretch volley. Kind of slips. Looked yep. like he tweaked his knee a little bit. They withdrew, but he came back the next day for men's doubles. Yep. And so I think if you're gonna go watch a match. Go watch the match that is, I guess, Connor Garnett, Matt Wright, and Colin and Ben. It is 2v1, and it is great. Like, Ben took every ball he could. Colin stood there on the side and did a great job just blocking anything that they sped up at him. Mm-hmm. But Ben was all over the court, dude. I was like, this guy could probably go out and get at least through a round of 16 by, by himself. <laughs> no, by it, was really, it was a really impressive response from Ben. Like, they changed the strategy. He, he stepped up. And it really, probably the most impressive run they've made to the finals for sure. Yep. And today, unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. And and uh, JW and, and Dylan were on fire too. I felt like they, they were great. Just, yeah, they were. Really so you say asterisks because maybe Colin was still still injured. Yeah, he was standing it. three feet off the kitchen. He was giving his brother room to step in. He, he it was weird. better today though. He wasn't wearing the brace. He was wearing the brace on men's doubles day. He wasn't wearing the brace today. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that's an excuse for today. Like that. They might There's claim it, but uh, I think I think he doesn't beat them. Like JW was played really well. Yeah, I don't want to discredit their win, but I don't know. My opinion was they weren't 100. percent I'm I'm leaving the asterisks off on that one. All right, <laughs> all right, I fair enough. All right, the only other thing that I'd be I, I don't want to leave off. We never talk about the APP, but one cool piece of, of news is that they were in England. Did you see anything? I mean, it was on YouTube. Did you check it out at all? You know, I. I I went on, you know, here and there. Um, there was some some stuff I watched on Sunday. So I had some buddies, some friends from Boise that played in it. So Susanna Barr is kind oh, of the local yeah. pro here, and then she played with uh, another uh, guy from here, Nick Pedersen. He, he's uh, they ended up winning the mixed uh, together there, and so I was really happy nice. for them. So I watched their their final and their semifinal, uh, but that was that was kind of all I watched of that tournament was just to, to support and, and cheer them on. Well, yeah, and I'm glad you did. And I saw some, I just thought it was cool. This is like the first time I've really seen more international pickleball. It seems to always be in the States. So this was yeah. neat. Um, and one cool thing they were doing was like 
I saw you on Instagram stories or something. They were doing like a Spain versus Germany. They were trying to do country v country. It was really confusing. Did you see that? The, the like one or two t- other times I chimed in, it was just for like a minute. I didn't understand what was going on. It was like MLP format. Then some of it wasn't. I, I didn't know what was going on. Did you? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know. They were trying to do some sort of country thing. Yeah. I mean, it seems neat, <clears throat> whatever. I'm not sure it was executed all that well. Crowd wasn't great, but it was interesting. I, I could see past the main court. There were a lot of people in the corridor. So I wonder if there was just a lot of amateur players playing and not a lot of interest in going to that main uh, pro court. But in any case, I'm glad they went and did it and televised it. it was nicer, at least put it on YouTube, streamed it. So that's nice. cool. But yeah, dude, uh, so to finish it off, you we had a comment in our pod last week about where announcers announcers sit. Like we, we thought oh, that yeah, yeah. they were on site, but we weren't sure if they were like in a truck. And so you, you did your thing where you, you go and find the highest person on the, the totem pole. Everyone I can. You, yeah. You'll find, you go find the CEO and ask them. And so you went and, and uh, found out the details on that. What did you find? Yeah. Well, listen, first and foremost, I hope this commenter did not think that I was trying to like uh, bring them down or, or prove a point. Honestly, I think it'd be great if anybody, what I wanted to tell the audience too, is like ask questions. I want to know like, what are you curious about and put it in the comments um, and we'll do our best to go find out. So I reached out on like Instagram and Twitter and tagged all three or four announcers that typically are in rotation. And I got a response from every single one of them, which is cool. (laughs) And and I got a response from this woman who I got connected with through Jack Monroe and her boyfriend is, uh, he owns a business that is contracted through the PPA and APP and MLP to set all this stuff up. So he, he runs around the country. They run around the country and set the, the booths up and the cameras up. So they said they did beer city open too, which I think some people said they really liked, uh, like the, the dual screen where you can see the replay. Um, but yeah, quick and dirty. The announcers are, um, are there sometimes the PPA, they split between either being at the tennis channel studio in Southern California and they'll do it from there. Or if they're on site, they're actually in a media truck or van, like a, a trailer type thing. Um, the only folks that are on the court would be MLP and APP. And for whatever reason, I never got a true answer on this, but for whatever reason, Sunday of MLP, they go back to the media trailer. So they don't, I don't know why they're not on court for that day, but um, there's there's your your notes about yeah, so everyone was right. That commented. Some people were like, oh, they're in the truck. Other people were like, oh, they're, they're courtside. It's a mixed bag. So everyone, it is everybody bag. was right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But yeah, it's, um, and almost all of them told me as well, they would like to be on court. So I don't know why they're not, but it would be cool mm-hmm. to get them out there in front of people. Well, good deal. Uh, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, appreciate you listening and your support. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Put the questions in the comments. Let's go. Comments. Woo. Woo.